again, everyone. This is a podcast that follows our webinar uh, that took place on the 1st of December on the theme of geopolitical risks. And it's a seminar we organized with our partners at the Risk Coalition and where Derek uh, Leatherdale uh, was our main speaker. And I'm glad to say that uh, because we didn't have time to answer all the questions that were put to us by the, um, the audience, uh, we've got a few more minutes to discuss uh, some of the remaining questions. And with me, I've got again Derek Leatherdale from the Risk Coalition and, and the co-author of the report, Hanif Obama, who I've introduced already earlier on as the uh, co-founder of the Risk Coalition. Mark Cliff was a visiting professor at London Institute of Banking and Finance and formerly uh, a senior advisor at uh, KPMG and formerly uh, um, chief economist at ING Bank. And Andrew Cunningham, a uh, visiting professor as well at London Institute of Banking and Finance and the uh, chairman of our editorial board. So um, I've, I've um, uh, managed to uh, uh, convince them to stay a little bit longer. So thank you, gentlemen, for your time again this afternoon. And, and the first thing I thought we might start with is um, uh, you know, there, there were there were a number of illustrations of of shocks and 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 tangible examples of geopolitical um, risks and shocks that would influ influence the strategy setting of, of companies. Um, th there's a reference to OPEC and 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 the of course um, very well established link between you know oil and um, geopolitical risk and economic risk etc. How has that evolved? I mean, this this is a sort of old risk in new clothes? Are they new risks? Are they more prevalent? We've talked about putting them higher in the risk register. Why is this happening? And, and can you give us other examples, perhaps, Derek, if you could starting with that, yeah. uh, of, well, of illustrations of how this works? Um, uh, I describe the Middle East as the kind of hardy perennial of the um, political risk environment for companies, because it's been one of those things that's um, uh, be, been an issue, if you like, particularly through the oil price transmission mechanism um, for decades. Um, uh, and maybe the issues are different now, but but the oil price is still, you know, very susceptible to uh, political and geopolitical shocks um, uh, in the Middle East. Um, just it, it, so it is a, a, a an old risk and perhaps to some extent dressed up in new clothes. But if I could give you an interesting uh, anecdotal example on how this still challenges companies. Uh, so I had some engagement with a major international airline for whom the purchase of aviation fuel was the single biggest uh, element of their annual uh, uh, cost base, costing them nearly $10 billion a year. Um, uh, and they didn't hedge their purchase of aviation fuel. Uh, that was a deliberate choice um, by them. They thought hedging would cost more than, more than it would save. They had in their firm an internal geopolitical risk capability, and they had geopolitics on their risk register. So I asked them, do you connect your geopolitical risk capability with your risk register, with your procurement team, and with your decision not to hedge on uh, the purchase of aviation fuel, which costs you $10 billion a year? And I was amazed when they answered. They said, no, we haven't made those links internally. And I think that's quite a, a really interesting example of where actually just joining the dots a bit more effectively within uh, large organizations can can help uh, sort of overcome these kinds of things i think the other broad point i would make um, being conscious of time is that yes um you know to some extent there's a question here of old risks in new clothes but i think the concept of geoeconomic policy measures as a means by which governments are now increasingly advancing their national security agendas has increased so if you like 
they've spotted the uh, the old risk in new clothes and decided they want some of that for themselves. Probably the best example is uh, U.S. tariffs on China and some of the other geoeconomic measures that that the U.S. have put in place. Measures that they would probably increase quite substantially in a number of escalation scenarios if relations with China were to deteriorate. But you can see that elsewhere. You see, you know, Putin, you know, deliberately sort of um, uh, withholding uh, extra gas supplies to Europe, and you can see how that translates. Um, uh, uh, into a macroeconomic performance in in Europe, and and we've seen we've seen that also um, in the ESG environmental sphere, haven't we, Mark? Uh, we, we we've had the discussions between the US and and China, trying to reassure people that in spite of their differences elsewhere, they might work together. But there's a, there's a I also read um, a comment by the Chinese saying, you know, the the US cannot on the one hand forbid the export of um, of of certain uh, equipment, in particular um, uh, solar panels, and at the same time, um, you know, for, force China to to fulfill its its requirement. You know, they, they they want a conversation about the whole thing, and they they want to link everything. So you can see that that discussion is already edging the environmental question closer towards that that um, relationship of, of strength between the two, and therefore geopolitical risk enhances the the risk of a, a bad outcome here. Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to adopt a sort of um, holistic, systemic perspective on these things. Geopolitics is intimately embedded in the interaction between economics, markets, the environment, technology and social change. So ironically, some of the volatility that we've been seeing in the energy market is as a direct result of the pursuit of net zero. And you can see this uh, in, a, in a number of directions. So first of all, the absolute collapse in the price of renewable energy. Secondly, is the uh, exodus of investors from fossil fuel funding, which has constrained the development of fresh supplies. Um, and you can see how this is now feeding into a complex interaction between these factors where the producers and the consumers are eyeing up where they're going to be in 20 or 30 years time rather than where they're going to be over the next two to three months and that's why i think we are in for a very torrid period as we progress through this transition to net zero so i think we need to really emphasize that geopolitical risk has to be seen on a systemic level, but also on a uh, on a number of different time horizons, if you're to really get a proper picture of what's going on here, because I would suggest that we could easily see extended um, periods of volatility in energy prices during the transition, which ironically accelerate the transition, because, of course, the longer fossil fuel prices remain at high levels, it merely reinforces the economic and political incentives to invest in renewable energy. Fascinating, absolutely. Hanif, um, one of the questions that um, we, we were able to address uh, was a very um, pertinent and, and uh, I think a healthy reminder that risk assessment tends to be built on historical pattern. Uh, and um, you know, can we really read in the past 
uh, what, what we need in order to forecast the future. So I, I wonder if you could start us off on that. And I'm sure that uh, Derek, Mark and Andrew will have uh, their own views on, on that point. Yeah, absolutely, Olivier. I, th I thought that was actually a brilliant question because uh, it's actually pinpointing one of the areas where a change in the way of thinking is actually required. So a lot of the work that maybe has been done on other risks is looking a little bit backwards, looking at what's happened in the past, work out the likelihoods of things happening. And I think with the whole geopolitical scenario, um, we're actually being exposed to new decisions, new actions, uh, new ways of doing things. And it's actually, what does that mean for, for your business today? And I think because some of these uh, geopolitical uh, factors are actually very complex in terms of the way they impact a business, if you're running uh, your own a big business, PLC, uh, or even a smaller business, um, what impact do things like, uh, whether it's Brexit uh, in the last few years, whether it's uh, uh, US-China trade relationships, whether it's issues in the Middle East, wherever it is, um, how do they impact your business? It's actually having the time to think through some of that and, and work it through and not just rely on the fact that certain things have happened in the past and therefore those will uh, affect the likelihood, the probability and the impact of what, what we are looking at. So I think it's very much around creating space to do some fre fresh thinking. And in a way, as a board, that's actually something that non-execs can really bring to the show. They've got experiences from different organisations, different spheres of experience. How do you bring all that to bear? In helping the organization move their thinking forward uh, in relation to these kind of risks. Could I add, Olivia, just briefly, I think data and, and historical data is kind of a comfort blanket for, for risk managers because <laughs> it's something concrete for them to hold on to. Um, I think to Hanif's point, geopolitics is increasingly a non-linear risk and just because something hasn't happened in say the last 10 years or 20 years um you know it doesn't doesn't mean or guarantee that it it, it, it doesn't look like a, there's an increased chance of it uh, happening in the future um one of the things we try and get to in the guidance is to say look it's absolutely fine to the point that risk managers they love to measure things you know to the adage that if you can't measure it you can't manage it and we say that's fine but geopolitics is the kind of issue where you probably want to overlay quant measurements of risk likelihood and impact with some kind of qualitative scrutiny, um, just to make sure that the quant numbers, if you like, <laughs> are heading in the right direction. Um, and, you know, I could cite personal experience of seeing, you know, a number for political risk in market X uh, being, as it were, wholly out of kilter with a more expert perspective. Um, uh, on 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 the direction of travel on that political risk, let alone whether that number aligns uh, aligns with the team next door, who who, as I said in the in the webinar, may be running a different quant model. So Olivia, if I, I can just add, if I can add very briefly, I guess in a way the pandemic provides a good example uh, or comparison with geopolitical risk. Uh, we couldn't do much to influence whether the pandemic happened or not in the same way as we can't necessarily influence geopolitical risk, but we have to deal with the consequences. So hopefully people can reflect on uh, the pandemic and boards can take some learnings from that to apply to how do they approach some of the geopolitical risks and say, actually, something we can't control, uh, you know, the root cause of, but actually we need to handle the consequences. What do we need to do to be better prepared and in particular to be much more resilient as a business? Well, can I prod a bit on that point? Um, so Hanif, you, you said 
boards should be making space and making time so that they can address these issues. But what about the toolbox? How, how should firms be tooling up to deal with this? And, and what I'm wondering is, is this a specific skill set or is it a way of thinking? So we're, we're used to saying now, well, boards now should have someone on, on the board who really understands digitalization, specialized skill. Boards should have someone, a director who really understands financial crime, if you're a bank, specialized skill. So with geopolitical risk, is this a specialized skill or is it a way of thinking? How do you, let's suppose you created that time, then what? I, I think there's probably two aspects to it. One is um, actually the understanding. And I think that developing the understanding is probably where the expertise and specialist skills is actually very helpful. Someone who can, who can help explain, uh, if you like, the likelihood, the impact uh, of a geopolitical event happening. And then it's actually really, um, as we're saying, it's the second order impacts and third order impacts that really hit an organization. And I think with, with those areas, a lot of those skills ought to be, um, certainly if they aren't already there, they ought to be uh, within, within the organization and the board. In some cases uh, I've seen, for example, in areas like cyber, some boards have actually got uh, ex-GCH HQ individuals as advisors to the board. They're not members of the board, but they're advisors. They help facilitate that discussion. And again, maybe this is an area where by bringing in that expertise to help facilitate the thinking. But ultimately, I think the board, the organization, the executive team need to take ownership of then what do you do with the, the outputs of that thinking in terms of uh, the actions and the, uh, the, the resulting uh, work that needs to be done within the organization. And I guess you also need a, rigor, a rigorous and consistent process. For, Absolutely. for that thinking and that's where sort of tools um yes. such as you you're expounding in the in the report come in so you have a consistent approach yes. and uh, make sure that everybody is actually looking at all the things that they need to think about absolutely and i think one amongst the tools one of the key areas is this uh, point about scenario planning is understanding what happens when something doesn't quite go to plan uh, and i think maybe in the past scenario scenario testing was much more, what if we change a variable by 5% or 10%? I think what uh, we, we need to take away from this is we need to be looking at things where it's uh, completely different scenarios rather than just a marginal change here and there. And how do we then respond to it? Can I um, try to take this further? From personal experience, um, in my previous employer, I, um, I received advice uh, from someone who's extremely insightful and was able to predict um, in both uh, or, or three three events that then took place, you know, Brexit, um, and um, and then uh, Trump, and then Boris. So, so I, I was warned, but I didn't know what to do with it. I, I didn't have the tools to scenario plan for this. Um, another personal experience is, you know, my my colleagues, the head of the ratings division on the banking side during the sovereign crisis, you know, confessing to me that. You know the way to analyze banks had to be entirely changed in the sense that you know the intertwinement of these risks and the geopolitical shock that that was meant that you know, banks had to be analyzed totally differently and, and in, in a way you could make a link to the very low returns that banks have had in certain parts of the world ever since um so i would like to go back to mark and mark i think you 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 you, you were mentioning during the 
uh, during the webinar, you know, the, the requirement to do scenario planning. And I am on the board of a, of, a, of a number of companies. How do I do this? I mean, I don't know how to do scenario planning. I'm never going to become an expert at this. You know, how, how, do, I, how do you give me as a board member the, the tool that I need in order to be able to use that tool effectively? Yeah, good question, because um, just to reinforce the point, um, companies will not have the choice. They have, they're going to have to start doing scenario planning. This is what the supervisors are expecting financial institutions and I think all corporates to do in the future. Um, and I think there's a profound cultural shift that has to take place throughout organisations as a consequence of this. And the paradigm is to move away from risk management to uncertainty mastery. And I think this is this is really very important because you know there's a lot of talk about data and uh, you know value at risk and so on, which is very sort of backward-looking, numbers-orientated. But when it comes to um, scenarios, you are dealing with radical uncertainty, and you need a completely different set of skills. And yes, you can maybe find them inside your organization. Maybe you can hire people. But I think you also need to have the humility to admit that occasionally you have to reach out for external expertise as well. Um, and I think, you know, to give you to give you a sort of concrete example, which I think is extremely salient, which is maybe more to do with uh, the behavior of risk management within the government, which is the UK government's reaction to the pandemic was to dust off a contingency plan for a flu pandemic, as opposed to a SARS pandemic. You know, these are quite um, different uh, scenarios as we've unfortunately discovered at extremely heavy cost. So a lot of this is about simply recognizing what kind of a world are we in? And, you know, this isn't something that is going to be resolved by resorting to data mining. This is where you need to draw upon multiple disciplines. Um, dare I say, even historians could be relevant. You know, what are the parallels in history going back perhaps centuries in, in some cases? Uh, you know, I've seen scenario planning teams doing that kind of thing. Um, you need to, people who have some kind of expertise in game theory. Um, if Trump gets elected, what is going to happen? Because even the few banks who actually did take the trouble, including one of my previous banks, to look at a Trump scenario actually got it wrong because they didn't really think through the full consequences of this. So it does require considerable investment of time, money and expertise to do this very well. And I don't think you can expect to do this um, you know, in a brainstorming session, one afternoon involving the board and a few guest speakers, it doesn't work like that. This is something that will require more resources to do properly. But the good news is the payoff from this could be very considerable because it's, again, it's not just about dealing with adverse shocks and risks. It's also about grasping some of the opportunities around the uh, shocks that we're seeing in around geopolitics. Thank you very much, Mark. Andrew, I'm going to come to you for um, a last comment, and then I'm afraid we might have to bring this to a close. However fascinating, I can tell you we can go on for hours, but we, we should keep that to a, a reasonable amount of time. So please go ahead, Andrew. I'll try to be brief. I just want to very much agree with Hanif's comment that too much stress testing entails 
tweaking the dials. So if you're a bank, let's suppose that non-performing loan ratios in non-performing loan ratio increases to 6% as opposed to the 4%. Or if we're a, a minerals company, let's suppose that our, our raw materials that we need for mining, the, the cost increases by 20% and suppose 10%. As opposed to a scenario which says, let's suppose we're a bank, let's say that we are a North African bank and there's a scare about money laundering and we lose access to dollar clearing for a week or no one will deal with us for a week, then what happens? And it's that sort of uh, imaginative, it's not, I mean, that's not extreme. I mean, that, that is fairly extreme, but it's not, the point is not that it's an extreme scenario. The point is it's a scenario that's just different, um, not just more of the same or the same being being difficult. Um, and it is quite hard, I find, to get banks certainly to think in that way. What would happen if no one would deal you with you for a week? I think that's where we need to, to be moving mm. towards. Very good still way being to plausible. Got to be plausible still. A very good way to sort of uh, illustrate and bring this to the forefront of our minds. Um, I um I don't know if Derek you want to make a final comment and uh, as the uh, co-author of the report that has let, bring us brought us all together today I just wanted to to give you that uh, that chance and also to thank you once again for for uh, you know giving us this insight. Uh, Olivier, thanks very much. Just two very quick things which I hope kind of provide that that concluding overlay. One is um, to Andrew's point about plausible but but if you like imaginative scenarios. Certainly in the UK, the Financial Reporting Council is introducing this idea of enhanced resilience statements for, for companies across sectors, not just the financial sector, but where they would have to run, if you like, financial resilience tests against what they describe as severe but plausible scenarios uh, where geopolitical factors could certainly be part of the mix of uh, a scenario uh, that, that puts them under stress. And the idea is then that that would give investors in particular a better sense of how uh, either resilient or fragile, those firms' balance sheets are. Uh, and then just wanted also to reinforce Mark's point about um, the multidisciplinary uh, approach that's probably now needed um, uh, for boards to consider the kind of global complexity uh, in which firms, international firms operate. And just to say, you know, it's, it's much more a process in my experience than an, an event. It's not just a workshop for an afternoon uh, where some externals come in. But actually, it requires boards to to focus sustained effort. Uh, but that effort can be facilitated and supported both by internal functions and by external expertise. And it becomes an iterative process, particularly as external conditions evolve. Um, and, and I think that's sort of, if you like, what good governance looks like on this um, a sort Wonderful. of sustained sort of um, process uh, uh, over time. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. A wonderful way to conclude our conversation. I just wanted to thank again uh, you, Derek, uh, Mark, uh, Hanif and Andrew for your contribution this afternoon. And I hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast from the London Institute of Banking and Finance and our partners at Risk Coalition on the topic of geopolitical risk. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our qualifications, training and upcoming events, then go to lrbf.ac.uk. We also have other podcast channels that dive into topics like trade finance, financial advice, fintech and more. You can find all of them at lrbf.ac.uk forward slash podcasts.